Hey everybody, welcome to The Worst Podcast, and I am with my uh, co-conspirator Petros, <laughs> as well as our friend Phil from Airfoil Studio. So Phil, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and um, you know, just to open it up, we'd love to hear from you a little bit about what is Airfoil Studio, how long have you all been in business, and you know, what, uh, what are some like hot things on, on your plate? For sure, for sure. Um, well, I mean, Airflow Studio is basically um, a creative company for the crypto industry. So we've a um, product design firm, uh, branding, um, 2D, 3D illustration, um, engineering firm that's worked with over 100 companies across uh, our industry, ranging from working directly with um, L1s like uh, Solana Labs and Ava Labs, working with um, DeFi protocols like Friction uh, and uh, Drift Protocol, um, DAO tooling companies like Layer 3 and Utopia Labs, um, and many, many more. Um, and I initially started the company about three and a half years ago. Um, we didn't actually start off initially in crypto, um, but about a year in, we started taking on more and more projects in crypto. And I think that for any product designer, the ability to work on things that you feel have real impacts is kind of what I think everybody really wants to do, right? It's, it's what gives people um, you know, a feeling of fulfillment, as if your work, your work matters. Um, and I, I sort of fell in love with the kind of mission and ethos of crypto and Web3, but um, identified that, you know, uh, the, the, the user experience. Wow, that's wild. You know, to be honest, I wasn't even wholly aware of what was going on with labs and with ventures. So that's that's really actually cool. And um, and I think that is like a really good setup for the frame of the discussion I was kind of hoping to have with you today, which is understanding 
this difference between an a- agency and agency development versus internal product development. And it sounds like you got a, a little bit of both going on, right? And from for me, for what it's worth, I've not really spent a ton of time in agency. That's actually not my comfort zone. I've spent a lot more time in internal product development. And and even though I've gone to design school, like and a lot of my friends and classmates have gone and worked in agency and, and my wife was at an agency just until uh, the end of last year. Uh, she was actually interviewing for her current job uh, while we were all in Lisbon together. And, um, and for just for context, that's where I met Phil for the mm-hmm. very first time was, was when we were all in Lisbon. It was around that same time of uh, Cosmoverse and Solana Breakpoint. Right. But anyways. We actually met in such a, such a cool way because it's, you know, we, we were bringing a few members of the team out to Lisbon and we were looking for hotels and um, the hotels are mostly booked up. So the prices had gone through the roof. And we looked at this one local hotel and the price of every room type had gone up, but there was this one room that was supposed to be their, their, their best suite. And it was a giant, you know, three bedroom suite. And because nobody had had interest in, uh, in, in renting it, um, it was actually not that expensive for three people. And so we're like, hmm, okay, you know, we can, we can get this thing. So we, we got it. And then I just posted on Twitter. I was like, you know, um, does anybody want to come over and just kind of chill and, and, and co-work with us? And, and, uh, you know, Alex, uh, Alex reached out and, and that's how we initially met. And then we just, you know, geeked out about design for like, you know, two hours or something like that. <laughs> totally, totally. And, and I had my son along with me and he was hanging out in the, the couch because that whole place, it worked, it looked and felt like a lot like an apartment yeah. inside of a hotel where, where like they had this living room set up in the kitchen. So Phil and I were, were holed up in the kitchen and hacking away and, you know, grabbing a drink and, and whatnot. Um, and, and then my son was out in the living room, like hanging out on an iPad and, and doing his own GM. But yeah, that was just an awesome way to meet and through, through the serendipity of it all, you know? Yeah. Totally. Uh, but yeah, you know, what I, what I was trying to get a frame on here is like, you know, why studio? That's the, that's like the question in my brain. Why studio? Because if you are, um, a creator of any sort, like an, a business leader, right? And, and you're trying to get whatever it is you're doing off the ground. I'm trying to find and understand those arguments for why you would go with an agency versus why you would go with internal product development. And given your background, I feel like you would have like a really, a lot of great context to give, especially on the agency side. And now that I've heard about labs, you, you could even talk maybe a little bit about internal product development. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So when, when, when I was getting Airfoil started, um, I, I used to be over at a place called South Park Commons, just kind of an early stage incubator um, that was just kind of not necessarily Web3 focused. Um, and so I would see a lot of founders, you know, go from basically building, uh, you know, the, go, go make the first few hires on their team. Um, and something seemed kind of broken because you'd have founders go in one of two directions. So either they would try really, really quickly to raise a lot and then be able to build out a large team internally. Um, and they would do so, but they would often run into trouble because it's not just about, do you have the capital to hire people for given roles? But generally speaking, everybody that you hire in the early days at a company that you're trying to build, you're not hiring them to do a job. You're hiring them to build something with you and become part of that thing. So if you hire an early stage product designer, I would expect 
that eventually that product designer is going to be ahead of design, right? They're going to be leading other people. They're going to be with you for the long run. And if you look at some of the you know greatest companies, like if I think about the early team that was at Meta, for example, um, you know they uh, and let's put aside what whatever you may think about the, the products that they necessarily built, but the more people you meet who are early at Meta or Dropbox companies like that, the more you realize they're just they're geniuses, right? They're they're these like one in a million talents um, that. Um, as a founder, uh, you would feel 100% confident giving a considerable amount of equity to, right? But there's very few of these people, and it takes a long time to meet them. Um, and so if you want to build kind of a championship team, you need the time and the space to actually put that team together. But founders are rushing that process because they're like, you know, oh, shit, I have some product that needs to go out in two months. I need somebody today to go build this thing and I need them to build it well. So um, I, I would witness a lot of founders, I think, make mistakes in their first few hires. And I can tell you one thing that I heard at the time that I was told at the time, but um, didn't really realize until working even on this business is that firing is the hardest thing you can do. So what I generally say to founders, I say, hey, you know, I'm biased. I obviously run a business that that is, you know, a studio in this space. Um, but you know, you don't want to hire somebody you may need to fire later. You want to hire somebody that you'll, you'll never need to fire or never want to fire. Um, because it's really, really hard to do that. Um, and, uh, I would also see, um, founders turn to agencies, but the traditional agency model has a lot of kind of core problems. Um, I like to say that it's a lot like, uh, it's, it's a lot like the airline industry. Um, they practice overbooking. Um, so typically the way that agencies build is they go and say, hey, here's a set of milestones that we're going to achieve. And typically the agency has an internal estimate of how long it takes to get that done, which of course factors into how much the labor is going to cost and then what they can charge. They provide that information to the client, but then the client often doesn't have a realistic expectation of when that can really get done. So what happens is the agency will take their actual estimate and they'll just add to it right? They'll charge more or they'll say, hey, this actually takes much longer. And then there's this back and forth negotiation. And I'm like, so, so that means in other words, that as you're building your product, you don't feel like you can trust the people that you're working with. And that doesn't make sense either, right? Like, like I should be able to know whether somebody is internal with my company or whether they're external and I'm collaborating with them. I should be able to trust them. So either way, it seemed like early stage companies either were hiring the wrong people internally or they were turning to external resources um but those resources weren't going very well for them and uh i mean for founders that go through accelerators like spc or yc um that are that are good and 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 you know have, have a great reputation um there are a lot of like partners um, that they would turn to large scale agencies the types of agencies that would have done you know google's rebrand or or, or something like that um but those agencies also don't give their best people to early stage startups. Um, it just just we're being you know honest and straightforward about it um, because those are not their cash cows. Why would they give the best people to projects they're paying them you know twenty k or thirty k when there are companies that will pay them six hundred fifty or seven fifty for a one time job? Right, like you're going to prioritize the people that pay you more. So it felt like early stage founders didn't have a real partner, and that's why. That, that's how we started. And we started because I was like, I, I feel that 
you know, there is a type of designer or type of engineer that likes to be able to spread their time out across different projects as opposed to working on one thing for years. Um, that there is a business model problem in the way that agencies work that we can potentially solve. Um, and that, you know, if I were to build just my own company tomorrow, I would turn to agencies in the early days. I would gradually hire the championship players that I want to assemble on my team. And then I would, you know, gradually shift that over time. If, if that, that, would, that would be the strategy that I would employ. And just as a cherry on top, when, when we saw, you know, how uh, very few agencies had enough experience in crypto, where um, they were jumping into projects, but then there needed to be these very, very long onboarding times because you had to sort of explain to them uh, everything about what you're building uh, in order for them to be successful at it. Um, and we're like, okay, we there, there's definitely an opportunity here for us to build, um, you know, a company that that a, a company type that that hadn't existed um, in in our space before. Um, and maybe to just explain an aspect of also our model and how we operate, since I know I mentioned that you know we don't do milestone based billing. Um, what we do at Airfoil is we basically say um, either you contract us for twenty, forty, or sixty hours a week. We have flat fee pricing and. Um, the specific price depends on uh, whether or not you engage us at a minimum of three months, a minimum of six months, and a minimum of 12 months. So that way it's really, really straightforward. We're not doing a ton of back and forth a negotiation on on price. We sort of set something that we think is fair and then say, like, you know, let's not worry about us negotiating timelines or about us negotiating price points. We've said something fair. If it isn't possible to, to make it work, we understand. Uh, let's talk about what matters, which is how are we going to make you successful? Um, and, and, uh, and, and I think like cutting a lot of the BS out of that process at the beginning um, is one thing that we focused a lot of our time and attention on um, because the, what we want to achieve is we want everybody who we work with to trust us and uh, we want to trust them as well. So um, I like to say that Airfoil is an extension of uh, the team, uh, that, that we feel like an extension of our clients' teams. Uh, but we mean that. I mean, we've flown people uh, from our Singapore office out to San Francisco to do um, kind of on-sites with, uh, with our clients. We've, we've done a lot of like direct collaborative work. It, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks that have been with us now for one or two years and um, that trust us you know, enough that there's not much of a line between um, their team internally and us. And, and that's something that's that's pretty rare in our space. Um, uh, so, you know, I think that the traditional agency model in many ways is very broken. I think it needed to change. But I also think that founders shouldn't try to grow a giant team quickly because um, it's difficult. Um, even if um, there's a lot of great people in your talent pool, culture fit matters. Um, and finding uh, the right kind of cohesive environment within your company. That's, that's what's really difficult to build. Products uh, are honestly easier to build than culture. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and I mean, I, there's a lot I can say on that too, because I, I, we've certainly learned by trying things and when, uh, when they fail, learning from them, um, when they succeed, learning from them as well. Um, but, you know, we, we've tried our best to also just build an environment um, that's, uh, that's, you know, rewards people for not just like churning out work quickly, 
but really investing time to learn and grow um, so that they can be at the cutting edge of, of what they're working on. That is just wild. So Phil, I was nodding all along here. Um, I, I, I've been instructed do, because of prior podcasts to not do like, mm-hmm and yeah. And, and like, you know, and when I agree, uh, but boy, oh boy, was I agreeing the whole way through that. Um, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about a championship team. The, the term of art that I I've taken to use is step founders because you, you typically have like the one or two or three kind of core founders who create that initial vision. And then what you're asking is as these next wave of people come in, you're asking for them to adopt that vision a lot of times. But um, I also think it's a fairness thing because um, I would hear this all the time, right? Employee number one, employee number two, employee number three is, is a crappy job. Mm. And the reason is because you have your employee option pool, right? Mm. And the founders don't take their equity out of an employee option pool. They take their equity as, as co-founders, likely an even split. Then you have an employee uh, equity pool. I would say if founders are being generous, that tends to be 20%, but it honestly is less than 20% most of the time. And so your employee number one is getting their equity out of the employee option pool. So out of the 20%, right, maybe they get one of those percent or two of those percent. Employee number two then gets half of that. Employee number three then gets half of that. But when you think about it, employee number one, two, and three, they're taking very even risk with founders. You know, I mean, they, at the end of the day, they're almost founders, but the amount of equity they actually get is dramatically less than. And so being employee number 10 is probably a better spot than being employee number one or number two, um, unless you happen to build Facebook or Apple or Google or something like that, in which case a small percentage matters a lot. Um, so, uh, you know, that's why, that's why I think that it makes a lot of sense to go with agencies. And, um, there are a few companies that we've worked with over the years that have had a really progressive attitude on this and they've cut their own founder equity down and expanded the employee option pool sometimes to upwards of 30%, um, and given early employees several percent, um, you know, 4%, 5%. Um, there's one company in particular that they gave their employee number one, I remember seven and a half percent. I was like, I've never heard of that before, but I love it because you know what? If you want to keep somebody around for 10 years, and if you're building an amazing company, you're going to be building it 10 years from now, then you have to give them such significant equity that they believe that uh, that that it's worth uh, continuing to co-build with you. Um, and, uh, and you know what? If you're going to give so much equity to somebody, you better be sure you would trust that person with your life because realistically you're trusting them with a big chunk of yours. Um, so, so you got to make sure you're making the right call. Oh man, that's absolutely wild. I, that is a total different framing of why agency than I think I've ever heard before. And, and so I really, really, I'm just so pleased as punch that we got you on this call, Phil. Um, I got <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I wonder what other people would say about that, to be honest, because it's like, I, I mean, the, I, I feel like the, the, the points are a lot of times what I hear is just like, oh, they've got a lot of experience, right? And it's like, mm -hmm. you can also find individuals who have a lot of experience, too. Um, there are some advantage to agencies there, but I'm like, but, you know, it, it's, you got to use the tools for what they're best at. And uh, do I think that people should use agencies forever? No, uh, that's kind of not what they're, what they're for. Um, but should they 
you know, just have an agency give them a branding package that makes them look nice and then immediately jump into hiring product design internally. I'm like, well, well, you know, you want those things to jive together, right? So you, you, you probably want a broader offering than just one of those things. Um, uh, you, you want everything to kind of mesh well. And, you know, I, I, I think we needed to change the agency model to make that easier and, and, and more possible. Totally. Now, you know, certainly the, the kind of framing that I, that I was kind of expecting to hear coming into this was along the lines of, you know, if, if there's some aspect that is not like the core competency of the business, then, and you don't want to hire internally for it totally makes sense. You're like, you know, I, the analogy I was giving Petrus earlier today is like the idea of a car wash, right? If you're, if you have a car wash, you don't need to build an internal core competency on web dev, but you probably still need a website, you know, just so you can have the Google presence and all that jazz and show up on Google maps appropriately. Um, and, and so there, you know, I was like, oh, that's where an agency makes plain perfect sense. You don't, you don't need them to like, you know, build a ton you just need them to build a specific thing and then you know that's all the more use you have for them and that like discrete use of agency made a ton of sense for me but then the question for me was like what about those scenarios when it is the core competency of a business and i think there you're you're just really nailing it on the head about oh right you know yes an agency can make sense in that context because you're trying to be very diligent about the permanent employees that you're trying to bring in. And, and this is an augmentation to your workforce that allows for you to have that flexibility and to have a ton of discretion on who are those folks that you're bringing in as your championship team. So yeah, that just makes so much more sense the way, the way that you framed it. Now I'd like to change gears for a second and, and maybe talk about like, what are, what are the kind of like core pro reasons for internal development, right? Because I, I think what we see with agency is, you know, you can have a lot of kind of focus shifting over time. Like you can, in a given week or month, like have to switch contexts very frequently. And so I'd be, you know, I'd be curious about some of your thoughts and maybe some of the learnings you've had as it relates to the labs and, and like where have you seen internal product development shine? For sure. Um, so. I think that there are a few places where um how would I how would I describe it? Maybe maybe I should describe kind of just like some really cool teams that I've seen, right? So it's like um I got to meet uh, the founders of uh of uh, uh Luma and by extension Glow Wallet uh recently. And I was really, really impressed with their company. They're a very lean company, right? They're they're a small team, but they're a close-knit team, they all work in person together. Um, they have strong camaraderie. Um, and what's been cool about that for them is it means that they iterate really fast and they can uh, experiment really easily, right? So the way that I think about it is, you know, you want maximum face time with people when you need to do lots and lots of collaborative work with them. I think the mistake that some founders make is they believe that all work is collaborative, right? So it's like all work ought to be done in person because um, because it's, it's easier to collaborate when you're sitting at the same table with somebody. Well, you know what? Sometimes you got to do heads down work, right? Sometimes you actually need to open VS Code and just sit in it for a few hours. Sometimes you need to open Figma and, and, and just, you know, play around with things individually. But given that, uh, a lot of times you have to do a lot of active collaboration with people and it can be 
do that when there's somebody for which, you know, it's not just that you're showing up to work with them, but you're going out to dinner with them, right? You're, you're hanging out with them. You, you understand their thought process really, really well. Um, and, and they're really focused on what they do. Um, one of the reasons that we operate the way we do as an agency, we try to blend the way agencies work and the way that, that just working for companies works. And, and we try to limit, for example, our designers to taking on two projects at once and one leading one project at one time, which is also different than a lot of agencies. But the reason we do that is because one of the coolest things about building internally is the fact that people are dedicating a large part of their mind space to one thing. And that's where a lot of great ideas can come from. Now, if we're talking about just like executing quickly or executing well on an idea that's already predefined, that's less relevant. But a lot of work in startups is coming up with new ideas that didn't exist before. Um, and, and that only comes from somebody who's like, you know, um, focused enough on the work they're doing that it's 11 p.m. They're laying in bed and they're just looking up at the ceiling and then being like, you know what? There's got to be a better way to do this, right? It's those moments. If you clock out and, and you know, there's a risk to saying this because I, I, I also want to be really cautious about um, overwork and making your work your life, which we don't believe you should do. But at the same time, just be honest, as like just the founder, right? You know, I, I, I think that the fact that my mind does not clock out at 630, right, is something that um, has, you know, it affects our ability uh, to come up with new ideas and do things differently. Um, that can be really great when it's when you're, you're building kind of that close knit team together. Um, so I think it's like, you're not going to move as fast, but you um, uh, have a lot more creative time and creative bandwidth. And that's a really cool thing to have. So I've seen some really small, um, lean uh, companies uh, uh, build incredible products together because everybody just has this like synergy that's super, super tight. I think that can be really, really cool. And, um, you know, in, in our experience with Airfoil Labs, what's been cool as well is is I, I would say the biggest thing is the tight connection and tight like relationship that everybody on the team has with each other i think that's what's really cool right is is you know we have we have folks uh, working for us in the eu that will go visit each other or attend hackathons and conferences together um we've organized offsites and meetups for our staff in uh in asia um to come to singapore and, and work out of the office together and and hang out one of the reasons we've done that is just because you know communication is difficult and communication requires people to understand where other people are coming from and you know i can tell you that if if min my co-founder walks in the room right now and i can like from just like the expression on her face i can tell if there's something i need to follow up with her about right because we work together so often and we, we have that close relationship. And I think that the biggest place where building a team internally gives you an advantage is have such a tight and close relationship with those people that you can do that. Uh, and so, so we try to mix it, right? But it's like, but, but that's, I think, the biggest thing that, that I like about um, the, the eternal, doing like kind of eternal product development. Right on. So um, 
if you're comfortable talking about some of the stuff you're working on labs, I'd love to dig in on that for a half second. Um, if it's still like in the, in the uh, kind of like the secret labs, I totally respect that. And you know, we can we can when you're ready to bring it to light, then we'll totally have a follow up call and and talk through it. But yeah, not so much that I can say right now. But but what mm -hmm. I would generally say is this: um, we are working on tools that we think will help Web two businesses jump into Web three. Mm -hmm. Some of those things are really basic. Some of mm -hmm. those things are, how do I get paid? How do I make sure that I am compliant with the law? How do I uh, make it easy for people to understand how to actually use my token or redeem my token for something? Um, uh, you know, how can we help people monetize what they, what they have, what they know? Um, there's a lot of like interesting things there that we're working on. And also just like basic onboarding tools for crypto. Um, so um, a group of uh, designers and engineers on our team just released something called Bloombox, um, which actually started out of, um, they attended um, Solana Breakpoint uh, in uh, or, uh, uh, the Solana Hacker House in Barcelona. And they were trying to answer the question, you know, how can we better onboard people to Solana and to DeFi in general? And so they, they came with a really brilliant idea. Um, which, uh, you know, I'm happy to link to it and also uh, would love to credit the designers that worked on it. Um, but basically, the idea was that a lot of onboarding into crypto basically is us as crypto natives going to people who aren't crypto natives and saying, do the work, then you can get a reward, right? Go learn about this, go investigate this, and then you can get a reward. And the way, what we have to do onboard more people to crypto is we have to flip that reward first then people will do the work so here's what i mean by that if i want to onboard somebody um to solana i have to set uh, i have to tell them i say hey go download uh you know glow or go download phantom and then um i'll go send you some soul and then you should go explore different protocols and then you should connect your wallet and then you should you you can start using it right so i'm saying to people do the work then i'll reward you right most people will not say yes to that right we think about the adoption curve that's purely something that early adopters will do it's not something that um you know early majority or later will do and so uh, a group of folks here came up with a really brilliant idea which was okay it's really easy to create new wallets right so why don't we create this thing called Bloombox, where we can generate a really beautiful box, and it's a, it's a Bloombox.app, and um, it, it like spins and shines and everything, and you can transfer some soul into that box. Then you send somebody a link to the box, they open it, it presents them with this present, and then they can choose to either transfer that to their wallet, and there's explanations of how to do that, or they can just begin using the wallet immediately. And that means, in other words, it's pretty much the same thing, right? As just telling somebody, hey, go download Phantom and then I'll transfer you some soul. But it's positioned to the user as giving the user a gift first, and then they can go and explore further. It's the little things like that that we have to do in order to, I think, like make the transition from crypto as something for enthusiasts and crypto as something for all. And, um, you know, Bloombox is one thing that was incubated here that's now gone live. Um, there's a lot more things like it to come, um, but it's 
it's all kind of based on that same idea of, of you know, this is how we're going to bridge that chasm um, from enthusiast to um, inclusive for everyone. That's brilliant. Yeah, I think that we've encountered a really similar thought process um, and the way that I think Petrus and I could could point to would be um, with the cards. Do you know what, what I'm talking about, Petros? Yeah. Could you could you maybe talk about that process and uh, what that's what how that works? Because it's exactly the same idea of like you don't like it's it's reward first, then you know, then work, right? Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's a great example. So, in general, it's a situation where you go into a physical location or whether it's online, you you get a product or you're gifted a product for being there, um, and with the purchase of a product or with attending something. You're also given this card, and this card has the ability for you to go and redeem an NFT and get it for free. And so it's a very simple interface. It's something that folks are used to, like, hey, scan this code or whatever simple thing and go here, and then you're going to be given this wonderful new gift that's a value add on, on top of what you already did or what you already got. Um, so that's kind of what, what we've seen. And it, it, it is pretty effective. There's a lot of folks in the NFT space kind of trying, trying that out for, for brands, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of um, it's it's like a it's like a fidgetal redemption model, fidgetal right? Redemption Where uh, you, you know there is like a scratch off card, and the scratch off card would uh, what it does is it gives you like the the twelve key mnemonic, right? To to like recover the the wallet proper, and and it comes preloaded with the NFT and with like just enough to cover like a transfer gas cost. Uh, so that you can get it out to you, like your more secure wallet, like your ledger or whatever. But um, different attack on the pro- on the space. But um, you know, I think that that's that's another one of those cases where you're right. Like folks in in the Web two world, they it would be way better for them to like receive a thing first, and then worry about like the whole rest of, and then set up your wallet and whatever if you want to like move to higher security contexts, right? So yeah, I totally love the way that this is going. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. And and I'll say like if you have like their their you know Twitter handles or whatnot, super happy to add them to the show notes so that folks can link up with them afterwards. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think I'm right there with you when it comes to internal product development and that ability to, um, you know, have the mental space available for innovation to occur, right? That it does, it does require, you know, thinking about like Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast and slow, right? That you do need the slow part to occur that, that kind of like methodical thinking or the mental space, uh, to, explore alternative opportunities and to ha- let let your subconscious do a little bit of the work and and like help express alternatives versus if you're if you're like in the rush of it right and trying to like do quick turns um i'd love to maybe now and we're here we've been talking about the positives i'm kind of curious if we could look at maybe some of the the downsides or like what are some of the challenges that that have come across looking at, at the experience of agency work. So, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I'm thinking about is this concept of maintenance 
it, it drove me absolutely nuts when I was first getting introduced to design as an idea. When I first moved down to Austin, I went to this thing called Design Extravaganza, and, and there was a whole bunch of like ma big heads in, in design that showed up. It was like Alan Cooper and all these other folks that you're just like, what are you even doing in Austin, Texas? But um, the thing that was bothering me is like all of these folks were talking about innovation and new thoughts and new ideas and expanding boundaries and all this. Um, but nobody was talking about maintenance. And, and that felt weird to me because I'm like, how can you create without a thought towards sustainability, without a thought toward, you know, the longevity of a project? It was all of this focus on the front edge and the exploration, but nothing about the how do we make it last or how do we make it so that how can we be intentional about having folks come in and keep a system alive? And so I'm curious about if you've run into a similar thing as, as you've gone through you know, the, your time with agency. Yeah, uh, well, um, I, I think you immediately pointed out kind of one really big thing here, which is that um, it is difficult to convince teams. And I totally get why, because, you know, the deadline for everything in early stage startups is yesterday. And you want to get the product out as soon as possible. But convincing people that, um, you know, it's important to invest, for example, in creating a great design system that can be used going forward. For those who don't, don't know what that term means, it basically means instead of designing your interfaces by, by, by you know, creating a set of discrete uh, screens, create components first, right? Create the buttons, create the input fields, create um, page layouts, et cetera, right? Matters a lot to do that because it, you know, makes it easier to navigate the handoff to engineering. Um, it means that um, you won't have to unify a lot of your work later on, that your work will be easier to build from the ground up. Um, it also makes it much easier for other designers to pick up where you've left off or use what you do. We take design systems really seriously. It's a big part of what we do. But then, you know, uh, when we're working with a client and they're like, hey, we want to get X, Y, and Z done. And we're just like, hey, like, you know, this is what's doable by the time that you want to go live. And the first thing that we often hear is like, okay, but why do we need to do this design system work, right? And, and it's difficult to, I think, explain to people. It's like, I know that right now you want us to not focus on this, but in six months, you're going to wish we did. If, 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 we, if we try to skip this step now and do something that's a little bit more like happy. Um, at the same time, I think that, um, you know, it's about finding the right balance too, because there are a lot of things that happen within larger design works at larger companies that don't need to happen within startups. Like it's okay to be a little more scrappy, right? It's okay to sometimes have to close the gap, um, uh, you know, in explaining your designs, explaining what you've, what you've worked on with an engineer over a Zoom call, rather than writing out, you know, tons of explanations within Figma. It's okay if all of your layers aren't named, right? There, there's certain stuff that's expected when you're at large organizations that's okay when you're at smaller ones. I think even for us when we hire, one challenge is explaining to people either who've worked at tiny little companies that it's okay to not be as scrappy as you were because you have more bandwidth, you have more people to support you at Airfoil, but also telling people who come from larger companies and organizations that like when they start a project, they're not going to start a project with a design system done for them out of the box. 
If you join YouTube and you start designing at YouTube, YouTube hands you a design system that has been created by entire teams at the company over months and years, right? If you are starting at a startup, you have nothing. There's nothing that was there before. And it's, it's, it's tricky. And most people, most designers don't know how to do that because they haven't been in that environment before to set the right amount of structure without overdoing it or underdoing it. Um, and so that's definitely like a really, really big challenge. I think that would also lead me to like another, another um, maybe negative, I would say, of like working on an agency like this, which is that, um, frankly, if you're working at a particular company, you one company, you can spend a lot of time vetting that company really, really well. You can do a week or two weeks to work with them on a trial period. You can you can basically suss out a few things. You can suss out if they have unrealistic expectations. You can suss out their communication style and make sure that it aligns with you really, really closely. Um, you know, all, all of that. When you're working in an agency environment or working with a lot of different clients or managing a lot of different clients, it's much harder to screen for that. Um, and we've definitely had a few experiences with clients where we've had to fire them because their expectations are just like, they, why, why is this taking so long? And I'm like, it, it's not taking long. We started it on Monday. It's Wednesday now. You know, we've had two days to work on this feature. Yeah, but just do it faster. It's like, that's not possible, <laughs> you know? And just adding more hours doesn't necessarily make something faster. It can often make something longer. Um, uh, we've we've had clients where like, you know, all of a sudden funding falls through for them. And then all of a sudden it's like a Jekyll and Hyde situation where they were really, really nice. And now that there's a lot of financial pressure, they're not very nice anymore. Um, that's that's really tricky and, and difficult. Um, uh, also, we have to suss out how much people know about design going in. Um, we love taking on clients where, you know, it doesn't mean that the founders have to be designers, but they have to understand the way that kind of design processes work and maybe have a product background or something where we know that they, you know, they know what they don't know, right? And I think that that's a, that's a really key point. You know, I, I started off as a front engineer, but it's not my focus, but I know enough about you know, the, the, the processes around engineering. I was a formerly product manager um, uh, where when I'm having a conversation with Gabriel, our head of engineering, we can roughly speak the same language, right? That's important. If I didn't know anything about engineering, then I either would, you know, I, I think people who don't know anything about either engineering or design or something and are just firing for that, right? They either become uh, they have to be very trusting and they have to sort of say just like we trust you guys to handle it or they tend to be very overzealous with micromanaging the project because they don't understand why something might cause additional complexity um when i started working as a freelancer a long time ago i cannot tell you how many times i would work with a client and they'd be like great you did the web designs okay can you make an iPhone app for this? And I'm like, cool, I can. They're like, so how many days will that take you? And I'm like, what do you mean how many days will that take me? That's not gonna take me days. <laughs> That's gonna take me weeks. I mean, you're trying to you know, design something for a totally different platform. Well, why? Why can't you just resize everything? Well, it's because we gotta make sure that it's it's usable on mobile. We have to make sure we're not overcomplicating the interface. We, we don't have too many touch areas. 
we adhere to the Apple HIG and, and Android's human interface guidelines. Like there's all this complexity here. And it, and if you don't know all of those things, then um, it, you know, you might say, oh, well, these guys are, they're probably trying to just like delay the timeline, make more money. It's like, no, these are, these are difficult and, and, and there's additional complexity. So we, we try to suss out when we're talking with clients very early on, you know, are they the types of people that are going to ask us questions because they want to hear our answers, right? And they want to discuss things with us. And, uh, you know, we, we know some things they don't know. They know some things we don't know, right? And, and sort of operate with a, with, with a mutual respect. They, the types of founders that are just going to be like hard drivers. And, uh, and, and we try to avoid those people. But at the same time, you don't always know everyone you're going to work with when you sign the, when you sign the deal. And uh, that's, uh, that, that's quite tricky. Yeah, totally. Um, I was thinking I might throw the mic over to Petros for a little bit. He's been sitting quietly on the couch here. But you, but you have all of this history. And I'm thinking as we've been talking about agency, as we've been talking about internal product design, and especially about startups, I, I, I imagine a lot of this has been resonating with you. I'm kind of wondering, like, what's your take? Because and, and first, like for context, Petros, it'd probably be good for you to share what were you doing before you joined Verse Collabs? Sure. And, and before doing that, I do, I do want to mention that everything that you were talking about, I was like, yes, I remember. Yes, I've gone through that. It, it was in line with a lot of these sort of things I was thinking through as I wanted to join this call. So we did cover a lot of them, which is which is wonderful. But uh, prior to joining here, uh, I, did, I did two major things. One was I also did a an agency startup more of a specialized agency if you will called Knox Labs and at the time we were focused on uh, virtual reality experiences for for large brands so that involved creating either apps videos or websites in in VR uh, and having custom branded you know cardboard headsets to to accompany them and, and do large activations um, and then after that I, I founded a, a small company that I uh, I run a product that I invented and I, and I grew that. So I was both on the receiving end and on the giving and the service providing end of, of agencies. And I've kind of experienced both, both worlds, but um, a lot of these uh, things that you're talking about are ex exactly in line with what I, uh, what I see is, is agencies are a, a lot of the times either a specific, Hey, I need this obscure thing like VR. No one's going to build a VR team internally there. You need to be the expert to do this. Right? So, that's a very great, great use case. Or it's something where, hey, I need you to get me up to speed so that I can, you know, take the time to play in the space, grow in the space, but then mature enough as a company to be able to take over and, and, and be my own uh, sort of in-house expert here. And um, I think those resonated perfectly. Those are the, the perfect uh, things for, for agency. Uh, one of the things for the uh, I guess on the con side, I'm curious how you handle this is uh, oftentimes I think you brought up like you're in the system one thinking the quick go, go, go. It can be very disorienting. It can be hard to get your footing and, and plan through things and think through things on a deeper level. How are some of the ways, have you guys experienced that and how are some of the ways that you guys have addressed that to, to still continue delivering um, solid you know output for your clients? I'm curious to, to know because that's one of the biggest challenges that I, I think agency life provides. Yeah, just want to make sure that I'm understanding the question correctly. Um, I, I'm kind of understanding it be more around like how do you, if you are juggling multiple projects, um, get enough context on the projects and what's being built to be successful at it, or or kind of 
that and also resource planning and how you uh, accurate uh, effectively can execute on on you know not just finding out the information but also uh, being able to deliver on it from start to finish in a manner that's more deep rather than superficial like hey here's a general concept let me execute fast but instead of executing fast executing well in that constraint of of time that's a great question um so i mean before i say that we you know it's it's not too hard to do resourcing i know that min is in the other room and she's gonna be like really phil it's 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 <laughs> uh, so she she does our design resourcing so that's why um uh, I, I mean it is a little easier for us than most because of the, of the way that we kind of chunk our time and structure being different than most agencies. So that does make it easier for us because we won't have somebody who's on a project like, you know, just a couple hours one week and then they go jump off to another thing or we really like dissuade that from happening. Um, but it is still difficult because um, we may still need to shift someone mid project, right? So a project may involve like product design for one piece, but then branding for another piece. And so we built a lot of systems to like, like manage all of that, but it still is quite tricky to do. Um, but what we are aiming for at the end of the day is we want everybody at Airfoil to be involved in two projects max, be involved in leading one project max. And that's because the less context switching the team has to do, then, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the better quality their work is. Um, and, and yeah. so, you know, we, we take that really seriously. We also um, do invest heavily in preparation before projects to give people, um, you know, prior contacts, give them access to white papers. Um, we have some bandwidth internally to like write up, you know, little briefs that also, um, you know, brief the designers on on what it is that they're going to be working on, what the background is, what they're what 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 are competitive products they can start using them before the project even starts. And the basic idea is like we want to make sure that in the kickoff call at the very beginning, the designers are asking highly specific questions as opposed to general broad questions, right? So um, this is both so that our team can be successful and so frankly clients can be impressed because you know a client starts with us, and if we've done enough prep work beforehand, and you know I've hopped on a call or Min's hopped on a call with the designer, we've like talked through the challenges we've heard from them across like the sales process, you know, we, we do the kickoff call and the client's like, okay, so um, I'm working on a DeFi protocol. Maybe I can take a few minutes to explain what it is that I'm doing. And then we can dive into timeline. And the designer's like, oh, I know what you're doing. Actually, you're doing X, Y, and Z. Um, how for from direct competitor A? And then the client's like, oh, Oh great. Okay. We're we're talking the same language. We can we can dive in. But um, you know, we'll we'll try every product that's competitive. Um, we'll dive into um the products we're working on before uh we 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 work on them. Um we'll be taking careful notes and documentation. Um it's all about immersion. I mean, even before we were a crypto uh and web three focused company, um in, in the early days, I remember we worked on one project that I thought was really interesting. Um, basically, there was this company that uh, had identified that the the systems that are used for like industrial control systems, the energy industry, et cetera, they're called PLCs, programmable logic controllers. The software for it is really the software that you use to program is really, really bad. 
And so um, they wanted to build the Figma for that industry. It was an ex like Uber VP of engineering was working on it. I was directly working on it. And the first thing that he said to do is he's like, but the only thing is in order to, to do this project, you're going to need to take this course and learn how to actually program these PLCs, because how can you redesign it if you don't know how to use what's already there, right? That has carried through to today with Airfoil. We expect that everybody who's working on a project actually start using the thing they're working on and start using everything competitive, right? If they are reinventing something, they ought to have already used the stuff that came before it. If they're designing a new type of wallet, they must have downloaded 15 wallets already on their phone. They must have tried all of them and they must have already written up documentation on, on what makes you know, different uh, approaches uh, uh, you know, stand out as positives or negatives between them, right? So that's what we do and we, we put a lot of time in. And what we do in designers off time between projects is we just say, keep exploring, take notes, share out with the team because there's always new stuff happening in our space. And it is difficult even for me, to, and this is my job, and, and it's difficult for me to even stay on top of everything. So um, we do uh, share outs, I uh, believe it's twice a week at the company where people you know, show what they're working on, show what they've discovered recently, discuss it with the team, and, and uh, you know, spend time learning together. That is so incredible. I think those are such amazing points. And I thought of another question that I um, that I had. It popped up while you were discussing that because your your answer kind of answers this next question. But I wanted to take it from the opposite direction, kind of devil's advocate, if you will, because um, I experienced this pain point. So it's a bit of a selfish question. When I at the time knew very little uh, as a brand trying to hire an agency and evaluate whether or not the agency can actually execute on what they're promising. And so I, you know, get a lot of the, we can do this, 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 the sky in the, a pie in the sky promises of what they can execute as an agency for, for a brand. But I fell, fell uh, I learned that they always fell short of what they promised. So how, how would you advise a brand looking to work with an agency to best evaluate whether that agency can actually deliver what they want, if, if that, that question makes sense? How would you help a brand evaluate an agency, maybe an agency such as yourself, uh, to to uh, to ensure that they're they're you know working with the correct agency, the best agency they could work with? Yeah, I think that um, I think that references matter, and we've th there's been a lot of times where people have talked to us and they're just like, hey, you know, we're we're deciding between you guys and and a few others, and and what we'll generally say is, we'll we'll just say, hey. You know, you, you probably know somebody that's worked with us in the past, um, you know, we'll help you figure out who that is and then reach out to them on, you know, without us even being involved and ask them, you know, what their experience was like, what they enjoyed about it. Um, I think that, that that's the best way to get an honest answer. Um, the other thing is agencies have lots of different people within them. And so, um, you know, even in that case, if you were to reach out to a previous client, you know, that's not necessarily the person at, at Airfoil that you would work with, right? So what we've done is for all of our um, uh, contracts, we have uh, a one month trial period that's built, that's built in. We say at the end of the first month, you can walk away, no questions asked, no fees, nothing, uh, so that you can feel confident that we're doing everything we can. Um, and, and, and frankly, I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but it's like, 
uh, in, in the early days, like there were a few projects that I didn't feel we nailed because, um, you know, maybe I hired the wrong person or maybe like we didn't prepare them well enough or something like that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I feel like those are more early issues, but, but, um, I remember there was one project where we did hire somebody that we ended up letting go because they did not do all the work that they said they were going to do. Uh, and keeping it very, keeping this answer kind of vague. Um, and we just flat out just refunded the client immediately. We said, Hey, we're going to continue one more month to make sure that this gets done well. Uh, and I'm going to change these on the project. And then you can come back to us and tell us if you think the work is good. If you think that, that we're, we're hitting, you know, what we, what we discussed until you come and tell us that, um, that, you know, this problem has been fully resolved, then, uh, then you're not going to pay us. Uh, uh, cause we want to make sure we, we do it right. Um, I, I think that, you know, the, the crypto and web three community is very small reputations matter a lot. And so we would much rather part ways amicably or, uh, you know, do whatever we can do to make something right. Um, then, then, uh, you know, that just be like firm on, on those things. Incredible. I want to make sure I answer directly, though, the question of like, you know, just like, how do you how do you vet an agency? And I'm not sure I have a better answer than just talk to people that work with them, um, talk about, um, you know, like what their experience has been like. Uh, and, and I think maybe the most important thing is like evaluate how try to evaluate the integrity of the people that you work with, because for us, like in in in. You know, some of those cases early on where like we were still learning how to run this business and, and maybe, you know, made some mistakes to us, you know, we believe that if, um, you know, work output isn't uh, isn't exactly what we have promised, we believe it's wrong to, you know, charge or use that as leverage or, you know, act in any way that's kind of shady. And so that's just like, you know, we, we want to do the right thing, you know profitability be damned right do the right thing and it's important to us and so what i tell people when they're talking with references i say like ask them about that right ask them if they feel that we have fully uh, lived up to those expectations for our values and our integrity and um you know i guess what i would say is that that's the question that should be asked of any agency any external partner um even if and 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 you know i i have a many founder friends were like i like hiring you know the 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 mercenaries over the missionaries uh we have built a company that is proudly the missionaries over the mercenaries mm -hmm. and i think that those are actually the people that you should work with because um somebody who is a great hired gun and effective at what they do but could still screw you over um either by jumping to a direct competitor when they're already working with you um, or uh, by, you know, realizing that you haven't paid attention to the project as much because you trust them and then they kind of pull their hands off of it. Those are all incredibly costly things. So if you get that gut feeling when you're work when you're talking to an agency, like, I don't feel like they're playing it straight, right? Then I, I would say run the same way that if you were evaluating a full-time hire for your team and you have that feeling, you know, I would also say, right, run. Don't don't go forward with it because it doesn't make sense. I couldn't possibly agree more. Same. 
beautiful answer. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to not just like pitch us because it's like, you know, these are, these are values that I, I do care really deeply about. Right. And, and, and in setting up the company, we've tried our best to create a company that, that follows those values. So, so I, I worry that some of the answers are maybe sounding just like, I'm like, oh yeah, you should do this. And by the way, we're trying to do this, but, but, um, but, you know, we're, we're trying our best to make sure we adhere to those values, but obviously there's a lot of other folks uh, and players in the space that do as well. And, uh, you know, I would just generally say, look for people with integrity, uh, talk to the people that have worked with them in the past, uh, uh, and, and hear about how they have dealt with difficult situations. Have they done so with integrity and honesty? Have they done so with care and empathy? Uh, and, 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 you know, and, and, and of course, look at their results and the work output and see, you know, does it, does it make sense for you? And, and, and uh, trust your gut. You know, if you get a bad, good feeling about somebody, uh, then, then, you know, it's okay to wait. It's okay to wait for the right fit. Um, this is kind of a common topic with what I was saying earlier too about full-time hires, right? Don't hire somebody full-time just because you have a problem that needs to be solved. Hire somebody full-time because you believe that they're the best person to do that thing. Whether it's about hiring an agency, or it's about hiring a full-time employee, or it's about taking on an investor, right? Doesn't really matter who it is or what it is. Be willing to play the long game and wait for the right fit that you trust, rather than going for what's convenient in the short term. Very well said. Thank 100%. you. Phil, this hour has like flown by. And, and it's just, it's just wild to me, like how quickly the time flew, but I, I did want to give a beat. Was there anything that you would like to bring up or talk about, you know, just the mic, the mic is yours, you know? So I'm just thinking almost like, um, like, like the, the hot wings show, like this camera, this camera, this camera. Tell, oh, the know, hot tell ones? the people what, yeah. Hot oh, ones, I love that show. You yeah. know? Um, but no, seriously, was there, was there any kind of like closing thoughts you had or anything special you'd like to share with folks? Oh boy, <laughs> I'm just thinking like, what I want to say from here on out. Um, okay, I'll start with like a uh, quick pitch as well. We're always hiring for product design. We're always hiring for engineering, um, for illustration. So if you're out there and you watch this and and uh, you're looking into a company that's trying to you know make web three easier to use, let us know. And of course, we're you know taking on new clients right now. So uh, you know please please do reach out if if like to work with us uh, and if we can work together to build something awesome um but maybe the last thing that i want to maybe emphasize is um you know one part of why we built the company uh that that i feel like we don't talk enough about um in kind of uh business and startups which is um kind of the importance of company culture uh i've, I've worked in a lot of fast-growing startup environments and i can tell you that you know I've worked in some good places. I've worked in some pretty toxic places. When we started Airfoil, we wanted to create a company that we were proud of um, uh, from the perspective of we wanted to treat everybody on our team with respect and uh, and, and build a, a place to work that people would be really excited to work in. I think in general, right, like as you scale a company, if you see everybody within your organization as cogs in the machine, then and you neglect their individuality as people, then you miss out on what makes them great. You know, maybe, you know, earlier in the hour, I mentioned how, you know, people who 
you, you when you're working on something early stage, you have to kind of not turn your brain off at 6.30 and continue to think about new ideas. But it's a, giving people the freedom and the latitude to think about new ideas that leads to the best ideas, right? And and creates, you know, a great organization. Um, small startup have very limited resources. And uh, at the end of the day, if we're looking at the small boat in the sea and the big steamship, right? The small boat can move really, can change direction really, really easily. The steamship can't do that, but it can go really, really fast. Your job as a founder is to build the right crew to uh, pay attention to the waters it's and to sail in the right direction. And if you pick a direction that's different than the direction the steamship is going in, but is actually the best path, you will outrace the steamship. If you pick the same one the steamship is on, you will never outrace the steamship. Trying to just build, uh, uh, it's kind of a labored analogy, but it's like, so your job is to make sure that you are very right about the direction. And if you do not empower your employees and your coworkers to make creative decisions, uh, to inform your decision-making, to tell you as a boss or as a leader that you're wrong sometimes when you are wrong, if you're not listening to the feedback they give and you pick the wrong direction, then you're going to lose. But if you can pick the right direction because you have the combination of the creative forces that you've put together as a team and as a company, then that's when you can win. I know the analogy is kind of labored, but it's more like I, I kind of want to make the case for why empowering creativity within your organization is the best way to build a company and why, like, you know, building companies where you just, like, set crazy deadlines, micromanage people, um, you know, kind of create this craziness at work, um, it doesn't yield a better return on investment. It doesn't, uh, you know, build uh, a more sustainable um, or more successful company. I don't think the culture works. But, but um, you know, so it, it's, it's, it's not just like, it's in addition to treating your people well because it's the right thing to do, do it because it's the right way to build a company. And uh, I, 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 you know, we try our best to do so and I, and I love our team and I love our teammates. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I want us to in 10 years time be able to look back at this business and say that, you know, that, that we've, you know, it sounds really obnoxious and, and all of that, but it's like, I want us to be able to say that we've built a successful and impactful company while keeping, uh, because of those aspects of our culture, not despite those aspects of our culture. 100%. Phil, this was so awesome. Thank you so very much for being on the podcast. Uh, I hope you're going to let us bug you later and have you come in later, like later in the year or into 2023. And, uh, and for sure, whenever next time you're in Austin, Texas, please come on in. Anytime, man. Anytime. I mean, it's, it's going to get real cold in this city pretty soon. So I might, might join you down there. Come on. Totally. Man. Totally. It'll be like t-shirt and jeans weather down here. <laughs> yeah, totally. Nice. Have a awesome. great day guys. Have a great Thank one. you, Phil.